Hey, welcome back to 4th and 20. I'm your host, Will Lott. Thank you for joining us tonight. Talking about college football, and we'll talk a little bit about NBA. This may be a little bit longer podcast than usual. Hit that like and subscribe, follow on any platform you're following on. I would very much appreciate it. Let's get in to college football. I called it, I called it, I called it. LSU played Bama on Saturday in Tuscaloosa, and it was a shootout. And Joe Burrow performed to a played better than usual. But that may have been the Heisman race right there. LSU won the game 46, Bama 41. For most of the game, LSU controlled it. And then there was a, a little bit of a push by Bama's offense in the second half. But a great game nonetheless. Now, what does this mean? It means that LSU is still undefeated and they're number one in the rankings right now. Bama has fallen, but Bama has fallen to fifth. Georgia's at four. We'll get into that here in a second. Joe Burrow has consistently put up 300-yard games, three TDs, and a great completion percentage anytime he goes and plays a big school. I'm telling you, I'm going to say it for the last time, but you all can remember this when going into the draft. I think whatever team picks up Joe Burrow has picked up a future pro bowler. I just, there's just something about that kid. The way he handles the media, the way he handles post-game interviews, he's a leader, and you can see it on the field. He's a field general. He does a great job of stepping up in the pocket. What are the couple of things, if you're looking at a quarterback, what's the, what's the first couple, the, the eye candy, the first couple of things you want to look for? Well, does he have good footwork? What's his time? What's his release on the football like? Joe Burrow throws a great spiral. Can he read defenses? Does he make smart decisions? Does he have a good quarterback body? And I'll, I'll go into that. Last year, I was not sold on Kyler Murray. I think he's a hell of an athlete, but I was just, he's so fast, and we're seeing this now. And I'm, I'm glad. I don't wish anything bad upon him because I'm one of those people, no matter what team you're on, if there's a, a fun, young, rookie quarterback, I love to watch him play and I love to root for him. Kyler Murray is so fast. I was worried about him getting hit because he's a little bit under six foot. And I thought, man, that's going to be a problem. He can still see defenses and he can still see people because he likes to roll out a lot. And while he's at Oklahoma, he did the exact same thing. So he obviously can see. A lot of people said that he's not going to be able to see over the big offensive lineman. I didn't really buy into that, but I thought he's so small that if someone gets a big hit on him, it's going to kill him. But what we're seeing right now is that he's so freakishly athletic and he's so darn fast. I haven't really seen him get hit a whole lot. He makes smart decisions. He realizes when he's rolling out of the pocket, there's no one open and I can't throw it away. I'm just going to slide down. It's actually really smart. He's a very smart quarterback. So going back to Joe Burrow, one of the things that uh, why Blake Bortles uh, was a big craze is that because he had a big body like Ben Roethlisberger, and you want that. You want your quarterback to be able to take hits. You want him to be able to see. Back in the day, um, you know, in the 70s and 80s, Quarterbacks were a lot smaller. Now they've gotten bigger. And now we're kind of seeing this trend. Uh, and I'll go into that here and say about the, the quarterback trend 
going on in the NFL um, that's good for college athletes, you know, getting drafted. You're you're seeing them kind of go back to the the, the smaller QBs like they did um, a long time ago. But Joe Burrow has the good release. He has the good pocket presence. He makes smart, decisive decisions. Joe Burrow plays great team ball. He's a good leader. He shows that fire and tenacity. He's got a big arm on him too. I think he is a home run at quarterback for any NFL team. I do. I, I, I'm, I'm all in on Joe Burrow. If I was a betting man, I'd be all in on Joe Burrow. After watching Tua play, I said this in the first podcast of the Degenerates. I didn't know if Tua's game was really going to translate to the NFL. I have changed my mind on that. And I'll tell you why. There are sources from an article that said that, uh, you know, some of these older guys, I, I, I know specifically one of them was Trent Dilfer, who studies quarterbacks. He's got a quarterback cam, and um, Tua has gone through it in one of the off seasons. Trent Dilfer has come out, and Trent Dilfer knows way more about football than I do. He's obviously been on the field and played the game. He said that Tua is one of the best recruits they've seen since John Elway. I'm a little stunned by it. I don't watch a lot of Bama games. I remember watching him come in to the national championship game and kill it, um, and he handled that gracefully. Uh, that was the, one of the last games Jalen Hurts played. For Alabama, but maybe they're on to something. Because Tua's very fast as well. Tua can throw the ball. He's a lefty. And statistically, that's not in great favor, but you put him in the, under the right head coach, you may have something. Now, I think Joe Burrow should absolutely get the Heisman if he keeps doing what he's doing. But I'm, I'm going to change the tide on uh, my decision on Tua. And that is not necessarily a bad thing because there's so many quarterbacks out there that can make an impact. I I slammed the Oregon football uh, quarterback uh, Herbert, but he could still he could still change my mind. He could still come to the NFL and do something great. I know I've labeled him the next Mariota, but he could absolutely prove me wrong. So that leads me to my next point. Then we'll go back to the standings. This transition in the NFL of going back to quick, smaller um, quarterbacks. Look at all the teams that are in the Super Bowl bubble, if you will. Uh, teams that we say, hey, they're good enough where they, if they play their cards right and they have a good game, they can get there. The first five that come to mind, the Patriots, the 49ers, the Packers, the Saints, the Vikings, what do all these teams have in common? They all have dual threat running backs, and they're all running the ball. The Patriots, have, they've never had a focal point on Tom Brady. They'll let Tom Brady go to town and go to work in the two-minute drill if they need him to, but Belichick and McDaniels love to run the ball. That's why they got Sony Michelle a great, speedy running back. They also have James White. They run the ball all the time. Especially without Gronk in that red zone, they love to run the ball because it's very hard to pass the ball when the, the field is shorter. 
excuse me, the Packers. I've never seen a Packers offense like this going all the way back to before Brett, you know, back to when Brett Favre took over. They have two young running backs that takes a tremendous amount of pressure off of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to do the Pat Mahomes anymore. Remember uh, two days ago, I, we talked about Pat Mahomes. They just, the, the Chiefs defense and the, the Chiefs in general just rely on Patrick Mahomes too much. And I feel like they were doing that in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers for a while. They have two good running backs. Both those running backs could be a starter anywhere in the league. And they are just taking all the pressure off of Aaron Rodgers. Even the, even the places like Minnesota and the Saints, they have two star running backs. The Saints do a lot of screens, which means a lot of time for Alvin Kamara. They like to run the ball to the outside, and they still have Drew Brees who can pass. Minnesota has Dalvin Cook, who's the league's leading rusher. And what does Kirk Cousins do? He's just a facilitator. He can make big plays. But they never, in that Cowboys game, they never gave Kirk Cousins the opportunity to screw it up or take over the game because they didn't need to because they run the ball. Look at the 49ers. They have Coleman, Beretta. They give the ball to them all the time. Now, Garoppolo has shown me that he can be the, be the quarterback that can lead them up and down the field. But what do they do? They run the ball. What does this do for those young quarterbacks? It lets them develop. It takes the pressure off them. We don't need to rely on one guy. And that's why I think that this class of quarterbacks coming in the next two to three years, some of them are coming in this year, like like Joe Burrow and Herbert, but Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, he's probably got another year before. He's having not necessarily a great statistical year. They're still winning games. This is going to be a great time in the NFL to watch all these new quarterbacks, this new wave of quarterback come in. Think about it. Aaron Rodgers isn't getting younger. Neither is Drew Brees. Although Tom Brady talks all the time about how much he wants to play until he's 55, we obviously know that's not going to happen. Joe Flacco is out of Denver soon. Phillip Rivers is on his last leg. Ben Roethlisberger has been injured and has talked about retirement every offseason for the past two or three years. I remember when all those guys were in their prime and Peyton Manning was in the league, Dan Marino was in the league, Brett Farr was in the league. We're seeing this wave of QBs kind of die off and it's awesome to watch college football and then go to the NFL because you're going to see Joe Burrow take over an NFL team. You're going to see Justin Fields, Tua, Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma, Herbert. You're going to see all these guys take over an NFL team in the next two, three years. All those guys I mentioned that are veterans and old in the league they could be getting pushed out, kind of like Joe Flacco did when, with Lamar Jackson, because you have these so like out of the five, four or five quarterbacks I mentioned coming that are in college right now, coming into the draft in the next couple of years. Justin Fields, Tua, um, Hurts, all those guys could be 
are, are playing like Lamar Jackson. You're seeing a shift in the NFL right now. We're witnessing the beginning stages of it. That teams are going to run the ball more so those young quarterbacks can get adjusted and can get settled in and learn the game and develop. One of the things they're not doing in Cleveland, Baker Mayfield's still young. And without an offensive line, you can't really run the ball. They've done it a couple times on a couple teams, but that's pretty much it. Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray are kind of changing the narrative. Look at Arizona's look at Ariz, look at Arizona and Baltimore's offense and how they run a lot of RPOs and they lo- they run a lot of trick running plays to confuse defenses. This is what's going to take over the NFL in the next couple of years. And I frankly, I personally I love it. I love it because that makes that makes me think that if you have a smart head coach who's got a little bit of sense on the offense, some of these some of these quarterbacks, college quarterbacks coming in, are going to develop real quick, and they're going to feel right at home because they're they're going into a team that's going to have a good defense, and they're going to have this established run. It also brings back that running backs in the draft are kind of becoming a hot commodity now again. That's great. That's great for the NFL. That's great for college. Kyler Murray's not doing bad. And oh, by the way, I don't know if you've heard about this guy, Lamar Jackson. He's not doing bad either. Lamar Jackson doesn't need to throw it 300 yards every every play or every every game. He doesn't need to throw it 45 times a game. He can run the ball. Just something to think about. But I think Joe Burrow is a steal. And it'll be fun to see who gets him. I would hate to kind of see him go to Cincinnati because I think that's a poorly run run organization. I haven't really watched a lot of Cincinnati games. And I don't really know. I don't even know if benching um, their quarterback was necessarily the right move. This is the organization that had TJ Hushmanzada, Terrell Owens, Ocho Cinco, all on one team. And they had Carson Palmer. And I don't think they won one playoff game. I think they went to the playoffs one time and lost to the Jets. They they don't have a good record with that. They have Joe Mixon. They have Giovanni Bernard. I think that they may be overreacting a little bit. Again, I haven't watched a lot of Bengals games. I don't know if anybody has, really. (laughs) So I'd, I would say if I'm the Bengals, I'm taking Chase Young. Because Chase, as much as there's good uh, quarterbacks coming up in this draft, I think Chase Young is a Hall of Fame talent right now. And there's a couple things we know in the NFL right now that you have to do to be successful. You have to establish the run game, and you have to put pressure on the quarterback. That's plain and simple. All right, moving on. Looking at the standings, we got LSU at number one, Ohio State number two, Clemson at number three. Finally, you know, let, let me give it, let me say this real quick. 
a lot of people have been hating on Clemson. The ACC's the ACC conference is kind of in the dumps right now. They're just it's not a strong conference. That's okay. That's not Clemson's fault. That's okay. Clemson has not lost a game since last year. Keep in mind, folks, that was when they blew out Bama. You remember that? They haven't lost a they haven't lost a game in 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 a in a year now. Because I don't think they lost last year either. That's a lot of pressure for a young team. That's a lot of pressure for Trevor Lawrence. So if he's thrown a couple picks this year, it's not that big a deal. He's not going to get drafted this year. Not because no one will. It's because he's smart and he's going to stay in college for at least another year. I wouldn't be surprised to see him stay at at, uh, Clemson for two more years. George at number four. I don't know how in the world George is at number four. But guess what? Those of us that hate Georgia, we don't really have to worry about it. Because Georgia is going to have to play LSU at some point. If Georgia wins out, they're going to play LSU in the in the uh, SEC championship with the rankings being the way they are right now. And I think Georgia's a little overrated. Bama's in at number five. So let's look at that real quick. The top five teams, three of them are SEC. What does this tell me? This tells me that the committee that we've known all along is very SEC-friendly and sec Happy. I think Bama. If if there's if there's gonna be two uh, SEC teams going to playoffs, I think it's gonna be Bama and LSU. I don't think Georgia's getting in. But if we know that, and the committee has a hard job, I don't want to pick the one through ten. The committee has a hard job, but they have got to quit blatantly being SEC favored. expand the college playoffs, and then we don't care if there's three SEC teams to get in. The SEC teams are ranked high at the beginning of the season because they have a lot of great recruits go there. I mean, that's that's facts. That's why they're ranked so high. But they need to expand the college football playoff system if they're going to continue to do this SEC madness. So don't worry, Georgia fans. You're not getting in. Oregon's 8-1 and one at number 6. Utah's 8-1 and one at number 7. And a lot of people still aren't talking about Minnesota. We talked about the Big Ten last week and how there's a lot of up-and-coming football programs. IU and Minnesota are two of them. Penn State's always been, been good. Michigan's always been good. Ohio State's always been good. And now we're getting another undefeated team. And Penn State was ranked number four just a week ago, and Minnesota beat them with a sound win. Didn't destroy them, but a sound, a good sound win. I feel like they're disrespecting Minnesota by putting them at number eight. But we'll see. Because Minnesota, if they win out, is going to have to play Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. So there, they, they, there could be some shifts, but I doubt it. But good for Minnesota for being undefeated. Here's the other scenario that we haven't talked about yet. Oh, number 10, Oklahoma, still the one-loss team. And I think that they have a, a, a bad one-loss, just like I think Georgia has a bad one-loss. And I'm not a Bama fan, but their one-loss is better than 
than those two. Anyway, let's not forget that at number 13 ranked, Baylor is still undefeated. And Oklahoma goes to Texas this upcoming Saturday. We could see a big shift in the playoffs if Baylor stays undefeated and beats Oklahoma. This just sounds like a game. You know how you, there are certain things that just line up perfectly? Like if you've got a team like Baylor who's undefeated, it's like, oh, this might be our year. And, but they're, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> but they're, <coughs> my goodness. But a couple of the road games they've scheduled are in places that you know you can't win. This is just a perfect opportunity for Baylor to show the nation who they really are if they're able to beat a one-loss Oklahoma team. It's in Baylor. It's perfect. The stars have aligned. Baylor does this. They should be moved up dramatically. So we'll keep an eye on that game. That'll be a that'll be a big game. Also, Minnesota is going to Iowa. And we all know every year it seems that Iowa seems to be the team that takes out a couple small teams that, or a couple uh teams every once in a while. Not a lot of time, but they'll put up a fight. Iowa to me is a place of you really gotta watch it. You can't take them, you can't take them lightly. So let's look at some of the big games this week. Michigan State and Michigan. Michigan is going to be favored by 13 and a half. I'm obviously taking Michigan. I'll tell you something that's going to be super, uh, uh, an underrated game. Talk about IU football being up and coming this year. They're 7-2. and two. They haven't been 7-2 and two in a very long time. They're bowl eligible. They're ecstatic in, in a, um, Bloomington. Indiana goes to Penn State. Penn State's coming off a, a, a heartbreaking loss and heartbreaking be the fact that they were undefeated and ranked number four. And now they're number nine. Penn State is favored in this game by 14 and a half points. I would not be surprised if IU keeps this close. I'm going to take IU on the point spread. I think Penn State will still win, but it wouldn't surprise me if Indiana keeps this one close. A lot of teams, a couple teams have uh, buys this week. Uh, Arizona, Oregon, keep that one. Uh, Arizona could surprise us, but I think Oregon's going to win that game. The big one I see this week is Oklahoma at Baylor. Oklahoma's favored by minus eight and a half. I'm picking the upset. Baylor wins and stays undefeated, and then we'll see on next Tuesday where they end up on the college rankings. Also, Iowa, Minnesota at Iowa. Iowa's favored by two and a half. I'm going to take Minnesota, but I think this game, I think the, the Indiana-Penn State game, the two Big Ten uh, games are going to be very, very good games. And they're going to be underrated because everybody's going to be watching. Um, everybody's going to be watching, uh, you know, the Oklahoma-Baylor, Arizona and Oregon, Texas and Iowa State. I, I would I think that those are under the radar games. Georgia at Auburn. Georgia is favored by two and a half points. I'm taking Auburn. I think they've 
showed a lot of grit and resilience throughout this year, resiliency throughout the year, I think Auburn could steal this one in Georgia. And if Georgia wins, I still, it's okay because Georgia's not going to the playoffs. I'd be stunned if they let Georgia in, especially after LSU will beat them in the SEC championship. But I'm going to take Auburn with the upset in Auburn. That's all I got for college football right now. I still think Chase Young's the the best draft pick. Um, It's neat to just go through some of these guys that you know are coming into the NFL next year. Um, I I think it's awesome. It'll be neat to watch them and see which team they go to. Because right now, um, uh, Joel Klatt was on the herd uh, yesterday, and he said that any one of these top five teams could take any could take anyone at any point. They could Cincinnati could take Chase Young. They could take Tua. Man, I'd love it if Miami got Joe Burrow. I really would. I'd love to see him in Miami just to watch him control that division. And they've got good receivers too. They need to they need to bump up their defense a little bit. But I think Joe Burrow would love it in Miami. That's just my opinion. We'll see. All right. Take a quick break, and then we'll move on to the NBA. Not a whole lot to discuss because, again, it's very early on the season. But we'll get to it here in a second. Take a quick break. Be right back. All right. We're back. I'm going to talk a little bit about the NBA. By the way, if you guys are listening or, or avid listeners, I don't know if I have anyone like that yet. That's okay, though. I like doing this. Um, drop me a message because I'm thinking about doing maybe just two episodes a week or maybe one episode a week and making it like an hour long instead of my 30-minute episodes I've been pushing. So, <coughs> excuse me. So, uh, just an idea. I want to see the feedback from everybody. But anyway, we got done talking about college football. Let's talk about the NBA um, the other night, um, pretty funny little story. Doc Rivers, the coach of the LA Clippers, um, was uh, in a game against uh, Houston and got uh, a technical uh, by the the, offici- the, the officiating uh, crew. And uh, the best part about this little video watching it was that his son uh, – Rivers, Austin Rivers on the Houston Rockets was in the background egging on the rest to give his father a tea. <laughs> I just, I think that's too hilarious. I don't know how me and my father were always super competitive. So I, I don't know how in the world they're able to sit at like a Thanksgiving dinner and, and, uh, be playing against each other in the, in, in the NBA and, uh, have a good, decent conversation. I don't know how they do it. I, I, I hope it, I hope it's all fair and clean. I don't know if me and my father would be able to do it, um, especially talking about sports. And it's most likely both of those teams are going to play in the playoffs later on. I, I I don't know how a family goes through that. Kudos to them if they're actually handling it professionally in the uh, in the family life. A couple of injuries to talk about. Um, man, it's it's sad to see this. We talked about Gordon Hayward last week. Gordon Hayward um, has expected to miss six weeks uh, for a hand surgery. He broke his hand. What a what a terrible waste. I love watching him play. I remember watching him play in Butler, 
Um, and he had that gruesome injury uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, LeBron's last year in Cleveland, because I remember the opening game and the gruesome injury Hayward had. It's great to see him come back, and he looked healthy and looked good this year. I hope that he's able to continue this after those six weeks are up. That's just a shame to see a good player like that on the sideline. Uh, Another blow for the Kings, uh, De'Aaron Fox to miss at least three weeks with a sprained ankle. Uh, Sacramento just can't catch a break. Um, Interesting article that uh, was put out by Yahoo Sports. Anthony Davis still says he's had a lingering shoulder pain. He had a shoulder injury way back when he was in New Orleans, but that's uh, pretty interesting that he is still still, still dealing with that. Um, I am curious to see how long he's going to be able to go. The NBA season is so long, and then when you're on a team like the the Lakers or the Clippers or the Rockets or pretty much anyone in the West right now, besides Golden State, a little zinger to them, um, you're going to be playing another like three, three or four more series of possibly seven games each series when the playoffs come. Like, your body just cannot take that. They did it. They they did the numbers. I'll I'll, I'll bring you the numbers uh, next week uh, when we talk about when LeBron James started sitting and resting for the playoffs once they had like captured a, a you know a spot, and they said that with him sitting out those certain amount of games, or I'm sorry, the amount of times that he wasn't sitting out when he was younger. And how many times he went through the playoffs and how many times he went to the championship, whether he won or lost it, the fact that he had to basically play uh, all those games showed in comparison to Michael Jordan's games played. He LeBron James has basically played two extra seasons at the age that Jordan was, or when they were both at the same age, because of how long the NBA season has become. When Michael Jordan played, it was it was cut down a little bit at one point. And I believe the series were not seven games apiece. I believe it started off as like three, and then the series would be like at five. I, I'm not for sure, but I know it was shorter. And that was when the first load management actually, the conversation of load management actually came up. And they brought those numbers on and said, LeBron James has basically played three extra seasons because of how many times he's gone in the playoffs and made it all the way to the championship. That is an outrageous amount and stress on your body. Which brings me to the next point. They're starting their load management is starting to happen all over the league. Now, remember we talked about everybody's upset that Kawhi Leonard's doing it, which he did it last year and they went to the playoffs and went all the way to the championship. And who was the team that I'm not taking anything away from the Toronto Raptors. But who was the team that didn't have any injuries going into that and healthy the entire series against the Steph Curry-led Golden State Warriors? It was the Raptors. It seemed like every other night, Kevin Durant goes down. Curry had to be out for a half. Klay Thompson has an injury and comes back and then has another injury. 
And now he's officially out. And now he's out for this whole season. At what point are we going to keep letting this happen? At what point are the NBA players going to have their discussion with the owners? When are the players going to decide? See, if you'll remember, excuse me, you'll remember back a couple, so like last year, it's like two years ago, the the players union came up with uh, a new um, a new contract with the NBA owners and the NBA association, and the owners signed that thing away. They they loved it because the players said we want certain max deals, we want this and that, and then and it was it was a struggle, but now the owners are reaping the benefits of it because a lot of these stars have moved to another team. They don't care about the money. I don't know why they fought for it so hard in the NBA union because they fought for it and fought for it. And then hardly any of them got it. The stars that is because they moved on to other teams opting out of that buttload of money they could have got if they had stayed somewhere showing that it wasn't about the money. It was about how much they want to win. So what they need to do, because owners are thriving off of this right now. Because they're not having to shell out as much money. The next NBA union meeting, or whatever you want to call it, the players need to sit down and they need to come up with something for this load management. They have got to reduce this season. They've got to. There's so many games. Why is the NFL so heavily watched? It's because we know Sunday. Monday night and Thursday night, there's football on. And we know that there's 16, we know that there's 16 uh, games that you can win before the playoffs start. And the playoffs, if you don't have a bye week in the first round, you've only got three games. You win those three games, you're in the Super Bowl. Now, I know it's a completely different sport. But we know when those football games are on. We know how many playoff spots we've got. I love watching basketball. I grew up in Indiana. I love watching college basketball, which, by the way, college basketball has started. I'm very excited about that. There's still some uh, some of the teams are still playing uh, those uh, those small uh, little community colleges to you know prep for when they have a, a a big game against actually ranked teams. Getting those getting those players in the flow. I love all that. I love. We won't really talk about college basketball until March Madness. By the way, shout out to Evansville, Indiana, for beating Kentucky. Um, there's so many games. There's so many games. You can't advertise it as well. You can't play all those games without having some load manager. I think it's great. I think it's great that the players are doing this. They need to lower the number of games played in a season. That's why the NFL is so, so heavily watched. Because there's one game to bring it. That's it. There's no seven-game series. You win or you're out. Does anybody know when the next basketball game is? It seems like there's like eight basketball games on a night. I love watching it, but you just you just can't keep up with it. I love basketball. I know I feel like I know a good amount about the NBA 
and um, college basketball. But even then, there's times where you look at a record. If you were to give someone's record and say, hey, this is the record they have. Do you think they can make it in the playoffs? Well, I'm, I'm not for sure because it's like, you know, 33 and 54. It's like, good Lord, how many games do they play? No wonder they're doing the slow management. Anyway, I'm going all into this to say that it's starting to happen a little bit all across the league. You don't think that the Lakers, once they have established themselves, which they are right now, and I have not given them a very good amount of credit because I had them at like a sixth seed. I think that I think right now the way too early prediction is that a championship is going to take place in LA, whether it be in the LA Clippers or the LA Lakers. One of those two teams is going to be in the championship for the West. You don't think that the Lakers AD, who's already complaining about shoulder, uh, you know, shoulder injury, an old shoulder injury, you don't think he's going to have some load management later on? If they've won over fifty games, it's going to be like. Eh, we're looking at our schedule. It's it's time to let you sit for a little bit. You don't think LeBron will do that? LeBron wants another ring. He wants to bring another ring to L.A. You don't think he's going to sit out a little bit? We're going to start seeing more and more of this. It's going to start affecting the fans because I don't want to go to a basketball game not knowing whether I'm going to see the stars or not. It's very, very important for the NBA to figure this out and get it dealt with sooner rather than later. It will become a point of contention. Moving on to the Golden State Warriors. There's a couple a couple things I wanted to hit on real quick. I, I, I do feel bad for Steph Curry. I don't ever wish anyone to get injured. Um, but there's reports coming out that Steph Curry still plans on playing at some point this year. Why? You're not getting Clay back. Livingston and Iguodala are still gone. Why are you going to do that? DeMarcus Cousins is gone. Why? Why come back? He's dealt with injuries his entire career. Why risk it? I appreciate you having the love for the game, but stop it. Don't re-injure yourself and possibly, what if he were to get re-injured at the same injury of Klay Thompson and he'll be out most of next year when Klay Thompson's back? That's ridiculous. If Golden State was smart, the coaching staff would make sure he cannot play. Tell those doctors, don't clear him. We're still paying him to sit on the bench. Let them do that. The, the Golden State Warriors issues go far beyond one player being injured and trying to make it back. Stop. You guys need to add depth to your roster. You guys need Clay Thompson healthy, back and healthy. And we also need Steph Curry back and healthy. Don't risk it. Enjoy this offseason. Enjoy this year. But why bother? Draymond, those are going to be really my second point. Draymond Green just got his first ejection in the new stadium. Why Why is Steve Kerr and these guys still dealing with this buffoon? He can put up a triple-double doing all the dirty work underneath. He kind of reminds me of a, of, a, of a small version of Dennis Rodman. So depending on what kind of team I had, I would kind of want him on the team. It depends on how you want to build it. But it would not surprise me 
with this season the way it is, for them to speed up the rebuild, trade Draymond, get get two other get two decent players to build up that bench to help out Thompson and Curry when they get back and they're healthy. You're going to lose a little bit of that bad boy mentality that Draymond Green brings. And sometimes that's great. Especially to have on the rebounding side. But not right now. I don't need that right now. As a team, as a franchise, you don't need that right now. You need that when you're playing a team in the playoffs. Like the Lakers or the Rockets or the Clippers. And you're trying to let them know that we're not going to back down. But guess what, Golden State? You're not going to be in the playoffs this year. If Curry came back and had a year a year statistic-wise like he did last year, they'll be lucky if they get a 7th or 8th seed. And then, that very next playoff series, you're most likely going to lose because you're in the West. And every team in the West right now that goes to the playoffs is the best of the best. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. It just came out like that. Trade Draymond. Get two average Joes to bolster up that roster and keep Curry on the sideline to let him heal up. It's just that simple. Paul George returns here pretty soon. And I think that's pretty much wrapping it up for NBA. Again, it'll speed up once we get to the playoffs or we get closer to it. I love, I love, I love, I love waiting for the free agency to kind of heat up and making those trades right before the deadline, the all-star break. That's always fun to do next week. I'm going to have a couple of guest, uh, guest callers. Um, Ray Berry from the degenerates will be calling in. I want to get his opinion on a couple of NBA things going on. Um, I'll save those topics for when Ray's on. He knows a plethora about basketball way more than my little brain could, uh, you know, comprehend. And, uh, hopefully to have one of my, um, Friends that I was uh, stationed with overseas to bring us up to speed a little bit on the NHL. I like watching hockey. I like going to games. But again, it's one of those things where you've got so much going on right now with basketball and football. I'm not really paying attention to the NHL right now. And it's another sport that has way too many games. So those two guys will be on next week. And they will uh, bring us up to speed on uh, a couple of those uh, couple of those issues and um, let us know what's going on in that sport. As of right now, thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, I really love doing this. So even if no one does listen, I still like I still like doing it. It's still a good hobby. <laughs> um, but uh, you all have a good weekend. And uh, I, we will be back on Tuesday. We'll be going over the NFL recap uh, of this weekend. Have a safe weekend and happy holidays. <laughs>